Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Tenlet. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you listening. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time, I spoke with Ginny Foster, robotics specialist with over 10 years experience in electrical engineering and six patents. We spoke about growth mindset and the benefits of learning languages. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is Jeremy Jez Inson, an international multi-platform sports journalist. Welcome, Jeremy. Hello, Lou. Good to be here. Thank you so much. Um, It's been um, a while since we've uh, last kind of connected, but I've been following your fantastic journey of sports journalism over the years. And uh, we're going to be covering some of that during this episode, as well as the tech you've used to really progress your journalism career. But I'd like to start back uh, with our connection in mind, Um, education, so to speak. Um, we first met at Plymouth University back in the mid to late 90s. Tell us more about, you know, what you were studying and, uh, you know, how we met. Well, I think well, we met, uh, obviously, I was there studying politics. Uh, so I got a little bit of Italian tacked on to my course. Uh, the way it works, you're supposed to do either sociology or social policy along with politics as one of the modules. And I didn't really fancy either of them. And I'd always fancied learning Italian. And uh, yeah, so that's where I first started learning Italian and and, and that was my, so it's, it was officially as BSE politics with ONS, but I always tell people politics with Italian just because it sounds a bit more interesting. Obviously, while there, I journeyed, went along to the uh, musical theatre group and that's where I met you and we had a little, couple of performances in our time there and, and a lot of fun as, as you do it uh, when you're a student, as you should do it when you're a student. As, you think, you know, I think I got the balance right as well between having fun as an undergrad and uh, in terms of going out having fun, but also the work is I ended up with 2-1. Um, and during that time, I, I'd shown a little interest in journalism at school. So I had uh, sixth form, one I had a bit of work experience uh, at the Garstang Courier, a local newspaper near where we oh. lived up in the sort of northern, uh, up near Lancaster in the northwest. Um and yeah, I had a bit of a taste for it then. It sort of died down a little bit the first couple of years. And then uh, I had a friend at uni, uh, a chap called Tom Clark, who used to write for the university magazine, which was called Fly, the uh, the student. Uh, oh, I remember. Do you remember I Fly? Remember. Yeah, yes, every Friday morning, he used to go and pick it up from the student union. That's if I yep. the right word. He wrote for them and he was going out with them on a, a sort of freebie night out, covered, you know, they got a local bar. They said, we'll come treat us well we'll write nice things about you for the for the magazine i said oh that'd be good when are we going he said no it's only for people who write for the magazine so i said well we get writing for the magazine and uh, the france world cup the football world cup in 1998 in france was coming up so i started doing a bit about that and in my final year uh you know, had a regular page about writing about sport and university sport and and what have you but i also picked up a bit of work experience at the local uh the, the local itv ch- channel um which for life i can't remember what what it was called the um I think south i think just itv southwest um, it, wasn't, it wasn't meridian or something meridian, like that. My, my, i think it was meridian southwest and it was meridian south i think it was the one around the solent and meridian southwest that's right down there um 
and that was a good week and a little bit of yeah i think so again a bit of radio a bit of a bit of uh local news i just get a taste of it and so while doing that there was an advert in the guardian media section at some point say be a reporter at the sydney olympics in 2000 um so i graduated in 1999 that summer and the february after yeah so we went through the application found out about it uh, the university of technology sydney which is it's fairly central in sydney uh, and of course it was the sydney olympics in 2000 and yeah looked into it found out the costs compared it to the costs of uh, of courses similar courses in the uk and it was actually quite cheaper quite a bit cheaper for a year cost if year course I was there, studied a postgraduate diploma in journalism. Um, yeah, had a, went over, so I went over there in February, had a wonderful, wonderful year living in Sydney, traveling a bit of Australia, working at the Sydney Olympics. And um, yeah, and then came back and, and that's sort of where it took off. I was involved with the new service, which is an in-house agency, which which helps provide quotes and news and reviews and, and, and all sorts of uh things that help written journalists in particular but journalists across the board um I stayed in touch with them and and yeah sort of the international side of it I like the travel side of it I enjoyed yeah. uh, so I made sure I stayed in touch with the people I was working with there when I came back which was February 2001. That you know it sounds like a, an incredible journey from your you know the student years and then landing that Sydney Olympics job literally on graduation um, it must have felt like quite an achievement, even in the, the early days for you. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely times, uh, you know, it's sort of the usual postgraduate struggle to get a bit of work. It was it, with knowing I was going away in within a few months. So it was bar work or, or temping for those few months. Yeah. And then suddenly you're the other side of the world, you're counting down. I got involved with their biography project, which they provided a biography pretty much on every athlete uh, wow. and male, female and horses who would be competing in Sydney. And again, that was put forward to the, to the, across the media for them to use the, the, the big one in Sydney. I don't even remember him, Eric, the eel, the equatorial Guinea swimmer who, uh, who caught the imagination. No one really knew a lot about him. I don't know how much information the system had on him, but uh, you know, it, it's, he was one of the ones who was hit fairly quickly just to find out more about him um so yeah and then you, there were times in sydney covering it and you know, it's 22 years now um i know it seems incredible. It, it ridiculous i was actually looking at some photos of it the other day where did it all go and um yeah and it was just a really great experience and the good thing was there were a lot of people in a similar boat to me uh, the university where i was studying was actually one block over from the organizing committee headquarters so you would go in do a little bit of research and, and and what have you you'd be going out to matches and and events in the build-up and the test events before the actual olympic start and of course when it all starts um yeah it was you know it was for i think it was 24 at the time and so yeah. it was it was yeah you know event of a lifetime something you sort of dreamed about and it was strange it was the two previous olympics barcelona in 92 atlanta in 92 so i hadn't actually watched a lot of because i was abroad not because i would have, I think if i'd been in the uk i would have been an avid viewer mm. yeah miss and then suddenly i was there i was on covering beach volleyball initially in bondi beach which was this great yeah. farm but also got into some yeah. hockey some boxing across the board and yeah it's just great two and a bit weeks and um yeah and yeah set me up and met some really useful people who i'm still in touch with and still working with to this day yeah. I, re I remember the uh 
the kind of buzz around you going mm. and and kind of seeing your journey it was it was incredible for someone that you know you kind of hung out with and studied and you know did all sorts of things I mean I, I'm so interested in the journalism side of things and um and, and you know the your love of um, you know, traveling and language and sport, you kind of brought everything together. But I kind of want to go back to, um, you know, some of the performance stuff. We we met on stage, didn't we, Jess? We did. Best little whorehouse uh, in Texas. Yeah, the cat's out the bag now, Jess. <laughs> said, it's all right. I let the people know. There's no secrets. <laughs> um, it was it was a great experience. Oh. You know, I I kind of been involved with performing arts. Um, when I was a bit younger but one of the things I did do that I really envy your position you know I was doing all the digital stuff it was digital back then you know programs um, you know press releases so all of those things uh, whilst acting on stage I was still wanting to get into the back end of the the system so to speak and the production side of things so I've always had a you know a bit of a desire for that and and obviously you know producing my podcast now um, it's kind of bringing all of those things together and, you know, with social media. Um, and it's just a, a really great space to be. Um, but I want to invite you to talk a bit more about the journalism and, um, you know, how your journey has kind of worked out over the years. And and we spoke a bit offline about storytelling. Uh, that's very much in the listening space at the moment. People talk a lot about storytelling. So, uh, maybe you can share with my listeners, you know, the connection with journalism and storytelling. Well, yeah, I mean, journalism is is storytelling. You know, it's 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 uh, it's fact. You hope they're fact, uh, verifiable facts. Um, but yeah, you're telling a story. Um, you know how it works. Every every story, you know, has a beginning, middle, and end. It's just sort of taught in English when you're first starting it. Probably back at you know, year, year four, year five, when you start writing stories, the beginning, middle, end, who the characters are. Every story you read on a website, on a in a newspaper, a magazine, there's actors within that, if, if that doesn't sound too cheesy, um, albeit on radios, radio uh, reports or documentaries, be it short form, long form, they're all made up that same way. Uh, and, you know, the, the more rounded they are, the more interesting they are. Um, and, and, and yeah, it goes back. It's it's again. It is quite a cheesy thing in the sense that people have always told stories. You know, you go to you go back. You see cave paintings from from centuries and you know, centuries and centuries, millennia ago. People have always told stories. You've got the town crier telling people what what happened in the days before the the, the population were far more educated. You had um, Bible stories in the on churches sort of in, in the engravings and, the, and you know, showing the, sort of the fallen being sent to hell and the good going up to heaven. And, you know, they're very simple stories of some would probably argue and argue with reason that they were slightly skewed in, in a, to a certain point of view, but they're still stories and, you know, uh, what happened, why they were happening, who they were happening to. It, it, it's sort of, there's always those six W's, the who, what, when, where, how, and why. Yeah. Which go to any story worth its salt, and and it doesn't it doesn't really matter what the medium is, it, they're always there, and and they all have those things in common. Whether again, it's it's on television, it's on radio, newspapers, magazines, online, and they're there, and they're the common theme which runs through it. And and yeah, it's, I don't know, I just always seem to have liked storytelling. You know, sort of people yarning in the pub, 
you know, telling a story, uh, sharing their views. Uh, yeah, so I think that's one thing that's always been been there. And, yeah, it's something I, I picked up and enjoyed and still doing it, I suppose. Yes, I get um, asked a lot these days to tell stories to my children, you know, about things that have happened, you know, positive, you know, really heartwarming stories. And, I'm, you know, it, it's not my natural go-to, but it's really making me have to... Um, you know, seek out, you know, positive memories and bring things together to, you know, really create that feeling and emotion in in the narrative that I'm sharing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always lo- lots to learn. Um, you know, we both have children, um, you know, that I'm sure there's always uh, things apart from not having too much sleep occasionally. Um, but uh, any of you that are parents, um you know the storytelling goes right from childhood and it's it's wonderful to um hear children asking to be told stories um intuitively you know they want to hear about these things it's true i think also it's, it's a way of you know we've always had i say we've always had it i think it's also the way you do it. if you look at it from my point of view predominantly sport now um when it was locked out it was a great lot deal to do we got she was she was, you know, she wasn't even one at the time, our eldest, and you, know, you put her down to sleep. And if, you know, most of the time I would have a sleep as well, but probably not as long. So there would be a lot of sport documentaries on the TV. And, and I say a good sport documentary isn't always about sports. Um, it, it's sort of, it's, it's a, a spot in time. There's a social, there's always a social element to it. There's always a, a political element to it. There's just so many factors in it. If it was just about sport, it would probably be a little bit dull, to be honest. Um, and say, for instance, something like the um, uh, the Last Dance, the big one that you know, Michael Jordan, the basketball player in the '90s. And again, there was politics on that, comparing him to um, current, you know, well-known black athletes in the USA speaking up, like LeBron James, who was very much who, who's the heir to Michael Jordan, who very much spoke up on the Black Lives Matter thing, whereas Michael Jordan was very much kept his own counsel. Um, and the fact that he was getting a ridiculous amount of money and that his teammates weren't and and how that sort of whole demographic played out. So I think that goes into it. And, um, yeah, but the storytelling, you know, kids want to learn story. We tell stories to children. They want to learn. A good way to educate and inform all of those values, um, you know, around any uh, mm. kind of broadcasting organisation. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Jeremy Jez Inson, an international multi-platform sports journalist. So Jez, you've had um, experience with football uh, and Olympics, all sorts of uh, sporting events. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, as I said, I think the, the bug bit me quite quickly after Sydney. Um, there was, yeah, I, I say till February, there was another one, Youth Olympics, which was in Sydney as well. As you can imagine, they had quite a lot of equipment left over from the various sports and they thought, well, we'll put it to use uh, while everyone's still in the mood uh, and not not counting the cost as they often do a couple of years on. Uh, as I say, I stayed I stayed in touch with, with um, my boss, who was a guy called Steve Detry, who former journalist for um, Australian Associated Press. Um, he went up and set up uh, sort of a new service company with a Dutch sports data company. We at the time were called 
Infostrata they call Grace Note these days, dealing with the biographies, but also providing news services. I always stayed in touch with him. And yeah, two years on, give or take, from my first Olympics, went and worked to my first Football World Cup, which was in Korea. So again, it was a sport I've loved, you know, a sports event I've always watched, always loved, uh, and in a country I've never been to before. And I would probably say hand on heart, I think because of you know, I hadn't travelled as much at that age. I was, what, no, sorry, I was 22 in Sydney. I was 24 in Korea. Um, just, yeah, just that, that, that sort of culture shock when you first go somewhere. Um, yeah, that was probably the last time I really, really felt it. Uh, and it was, but it was brilliant, brilliant four weeks in Korea. Mm. Absolutely amazing place. One of the colleagues in Sydney was was working for the Japanese organisers, and we asked to bring in some English speaking journalists to help out with their their output. And um, so, brought in Steve and some others, and three of us contacted Steve, and he said, "Look, we need some more experienced people, a few longer term." longer in the tooth journalist but contact the korea and see what happens there and so we did that and we two of them flew from australia i flew in from heathrow and we were there we were in a very small box it was, it was called a studio flat so it was one it was one yeah. room flat three of us in there they got there first so they got the two double beds i was the youngest one as well i was put on the single bed a, um, bit, a bit like some student digs that day. it really was it really was and we learned quickly don't wash the clothes late at night because the spin drive, the spin cycle goes or kicks in <laughs> while you're trying to get your head down. But it was, yeah, it's brilliant. And you've been up to things like the demilitarized zone. Uh, and yes, yeah, saw a lot of yeah. interesting things and it's, it's gone from there. So yeah. And, and that's, that was, so that was my, the first of three, I was in Russia four years ago and I'm off to Qatar um, in, on Saturday on the 12th of November uh to work for the last for for russia and for qatar i've been working for the host broadcast services which is basically all the pictures you see on tv or football matches um and some of the reports and whatnot they are all produced by this they're official partners of of um of fifa the world football federation uh and and yeah, so we are four years ago when both of them was working on the digital side. So four years ago, I was looking after the social media output, all those little clips that you saw on um, on, on, on you know, Twitter and across the social media spectrum, we were putting them out. I was overseeing the producers who were clipping highlights and reports um, and yeah, and doing something similar this time. Fab. So. It's incredibly exciting. So um, before I kind of get onto the, the digital and the tech stuff, um, if any of my listeners would, you know, kind of feeling like they'd love to be a sports journalist, uh, is there any advice you can offer um, anyone to, you know, get into this particular field? Um, yeah, I think there's the obvious one is, is, is write stuff, write stuff and produce stuff. If, if yep. you know, have a YouTube channel, um, as we before, you know, one of those things. Right, we'll go into it probably in a bit more depth in a moment. I, I, I'll hold back until you want me to hold back on this. <laughs> but yeah, filming and editing is a lot easier than it used to be twenty years ago. Um, and likewise, podcasting um, and writing, having your own blog, things like that. Just yeah. keep doing those things. But know your worth as well. I think is one thing. Don't get suckered in. There are a lot of websites. Um, and, and others where it all comes down to 
comes down to writing stuff and almost commission based. So you get so many eyes on it and with the respect that they're never going to get that amount of eyes and they're just getting free reports for their website. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't sell yourself short is another one I would say. Um, yeah. But, and, and then speak to people, there's people out there who, who talk, don't be, don't be scared to ask. Yeah. People might bite back at you, but then the next one may not. Um, everybody was in this, in that situation at some point to start with. And, and it's worth, you know, talking to people, finding out about them. Um, if you can, if you've got the time and, and, uh, a course is always good. Um, there's some good courses out there, either that be yeah. a full on post grad or, or just a sort of a short, short um, NC, was it national, national certificate of NCTJ, national certificate of training in journalism. Those courses are always well respected and well looked after. Yeah. And of course, the people who will be teaching you will be well connected as well. So, yeah, that's not it's, uh, yeah, definitely if you have a passion for sports journalism go and seek out some of those i'll pop them in the show notes um but you know if it's something that lights your fire you know uh jez is off out to qatar he's sydney olympics in 2000 you know and a whole raft of things in between it's just incredible your journey jez um yeah i i've been i've been in awe following your your kind of journey over the last 20 years um you know you've you've made a name for yourself um, on an international level, which uh, is outstanding to to see. And let's talk about tech and how technology in journalism, sports journalism specifically for you, has made your life easier, more successful, um, and yeah, how it's enhanced what you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think speed is probably the the the, the big thing um, in terms of. Everyone wants everyone wants the news. Everyone wants the latest thing now, basically, yeah. or as soon as possible. Um, you know, sort of years gone by, they used to talk about sending the image. You know, sort of the bigger files, TV. If you're looking at TV, sending it down the tube. Um, you know, we didn't have the internet was in the early days. Things took longer to get from one to the other. Now you load it onto your FTP from your laptop, where you've been editing, um, and it's there. Hopefully, within you know half an hour or so depending on how big the file is um you know that 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 speed of delivery and, and speed of 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 getting it from where you filmed it and where you've edited it to where it's going to be broadcast um obviously the same for audio audio you're working with smaller files so your that speed is is and one thing i always find when you having spent a bit of time editing uh, you know, video and then you start editing audio <laughs> how quickly the export can <laughs> oh it's only two minutes it's done but i think that's yeah. that's the key thing you know everything is all about speed everything's speed you know quick internet yeah. we're moving on to 5g now um and so the people i was working with in tokyo 2020 uh which was which is basically the olympic equivalent of host broadcast services olympic broadcast services again so all the pictures you see coming out of Tokyo 2020 and and pretty much every Olympics since Vancouver 2010, I think it was when they went fully in control. They weren't before that Beijing had their own broadcast company. Um, that sort of changed. They, yeah, they were all coming from Olympic broadcast services. I was working for something called Olympic channel news, doing features and, and post-match interviews. And, you, you know, they are, they are very much about the speed They're You know, they're, they're already, yeah. Uh, the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics in 2018, they started uh, filming and 
and sending on 5G cameras. They increased for Tokyo. There's going to be more. There were more of them in Beijing. There will yeah. be more again for Paris in 2024. So that's, you know, so you've got cameras filming and they're sending the, the footage back while they're, while they're filming. Um, and, and that's how that was in there. In For the work I'll be doing in Qatar, I'm looking after a team of reporters who, if you ever see at the end of football matches, pretty much, especially the big football matches, there's usually a, one of the media team staff following the players around with a mobile phone yeah. Again, to upload things to their social media channels and and there were their digital channels and there's each team in the World Cup will have someone following them um, and they'll be there with the team on match days. They'll be there on the team in um, at training and and filming and sending it back and they'll be broadcasting live. So if you were you were you know England, you're, you're from ITV or BBC, I'll be sending you an email going, yeah, the or to everyone, in fact, all the the host broadcasters for the Olympic for the World Cup. Sorry, saying England training will be streamed live from two o'clock on the or fourteen hundred on Tuesday. You know, and for all thirty two teams, and then as it goes down, um, and again, four years ago we had something similar, but with cameramen, but it was a little bit of a longer process. They they didn't stream it live. They would have to go back to their hotel, find their Wi Fi, and, and send it from then. So it's yeah, that's the key thing in, in the 5G migration. The other thing is sustainability, how their uh, broadcasting companies uh, and, uh, are limiting and cutting down. They're very conscious how many people they send out to various... Um, yeah. uh, you know, so, for instance, in, in Tokyo, OBS, uh, a lot of their staff who in the past would have flown to Tokyo actually stayed on site in their headquarters in Madrid and were able to use use the, the, the studios they have there. For Qatar, there was some talk of, of the digital output being done from their headquarters, which are in Paris. Um, but I think the need there to be on, on site. So I think they're always looking at technology, how they can boost their sustainability and green credentials. Yes, and that's quite a challenge. Do you think o- over time, um, you know, there are going to be less journalists at live events or... Well, I, I, we... I think there already are. There already are. I mean, you saw it. Yeah. You saw it in Tokyo. I mean, Tokyo was affected, and and Beijing, um, both of them were, were affected heavily by the the COVID, yeah. by the COVID pandemic, and, and and Japan and China's way of responding to them. Yeah. But I think yeah, like so much more, you know, we're doing this over over <laughs> over an interview, you know, online interview, yeah. and you you know. People had things people had to do during the pandemic are yeah. now, you know, they're firmly part of the working life. You watch, you know, sort of, I remember when it first started in, in the start of 2020 when the pandemic and watching things like BBC Breakfast and they'd be interviewing various politicians or various spokesmen for this to find out what was happening. And of course, they were all done from their their, their bedroom office or their on the yeah. lounge or what have you, uh, whereas in the past they might have been brought in to the, into the studio. Yeah. And now, well, things have, have you know more or less returned to to normal. Touch wood, they stay that way. You'll still see them carrying on with these these interviews and uh, and listen to other podcasts. It's it, they've carried on using it, mm. and, and yeah, again, it makes sense. That sort of remote uh, those policies of remote working greatly enhance 
you know, people don't have to travel, people aren't driving. It's, yeah. it's sort of at a micro level. It's not a, a huge level. It's not like yeah. uh, certain countries turning off power stations. The impact, you know, it is a little drop in the ocean yeah. um, in terms yeah. of global warming, but it all adds up um, and, and makes yeah. things easier. So I think, yeah, I mean, you've already seen it. Let's say Tokyo and Beijing, so much of it was done. BBC have got a brand new studio up in Manchester. Um, Eurosports, who are the official rights holders, um, Again, they do similar things from their Hammersmith um, HQ, and uh, yeah, and you, you, I think you will now. Unfortunately, it won't it's just the nature of the business, and yeah. they don't have to. But I think for the for the top top ones, the very top, the, you know, the Olympics, there will always be someone out there. You won't have, unfortunately, yeah. have Dan Walker talking to a hen party on Copacabana as you did in, in Rio 2016 <laughs> and various other things that, that you get in, in these, these events. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just the nature of the beast. It's, it's the same. Yeah. They're not, they're not exempt in the way that any other company is. Yes. It feels quite wholesome. The fact that, you know, technology is now the driver in so many things you know there are there are kind of pros and cons with all of it, but you know to have the sustainability and the accessibility using technology, it's just for me it feels like um, it's kind of normalising and making all of this stuff and the content more accessible to everybody. You know the kit that you you use, you know anyone can kind of pick up and buy potentially. Um, you know back in the very early kind of 80s 90s you know some of the kit that broadcasters were using um you know wasn't accessible to everybody so you know i i think that's that's a great thing uh, in terms of quality as well um because you know journalism if you're producing content then it does have to be good content uh in my opinion um you know that the sound quality the visual uh, all of those things aid in understanding uh, a message or a story. Um, I think that's, I think you've, you've, you've I think it's, it's become almost polarized. I mean, there's so much, there's so much today where you know two extremes. And I think it's just like you know, sort of you've got a thirty grand camera. Well, the average person isn't going to be able to afford that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, they can afford. Most people have one of these. You know, with the, you know this is my brand new my brand new phone excuse the 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 advertising but the, the quality of that camera yeah in the 15 years probably that that smartphones have been on the market has, has jumped exponentially yeah. and again it goes back to the storytelling you watch a news report uh tv news report and they will a lot of the time a big event like you said they, you can't have a bbc or ITV or Sky or, or Channel 4 reporter wandering the streets of London or, or any other major city looking for a story. So if things yeah. do happen, you get, you know, you know, quite often the first image is taken from what someone's posted to social media. People have filmed it on their mobile phone and then posted it to their social media channels. And most most broadcasters nowadays have someone who is, you know, I'm not calling them a fixer or a finder, but someone there whose responsibility is, getting hold of the person who put this on social media yeah, and are getting permission and rights. And, and if it's, you know, whoever the person yes. who's done the, the filming, hopefully it'll be a good payday for them. Um, yeah. And they, they're able to use that clip in their, their, um, their, their, their news reports. Yes. Um, 
and so I think that's that's one way of doing it. And we're saying that the quality of of of, of phones is so so good now. You know, I know people mm. who film news reports exclusively on phones, um, not necessarily for any of the major broadcasters, but for their own for smaller yeah. smaller companies and, and and what have you. And, and let's say the digital offerings from not just sports teams, but that's that's my field, but with, within sports teams, they, you know, they use the, the video now back of house, back of in the changing room. Yeah. Um, and I, I think because of that, the, the, the stuff with the, the, the 30, the 30 grand cameras that it, it, it's, you now got sort of, I think also for the public, they're not as fussed about what they see or, or how, not how they see it, but when they see it, I think, you know, there's yeah. that the news, cycle turns around so quickly it doesn't really matter if it's the best footage the best or not it's just the footage of something that's happened um and yeah people have seen it go right i've seen a bit of that they move on to the next thing and the next thing they haven't got time to go well wait till the in in the days you know when we were growing up with the six o'clock news there's probably a lunchtime news uh and the 10 o'clock news well, we don't have that anymore. We have rolling 24 news channels and, and that's kind yeah. of minds a while drive. And, and it's, you know, it's where the content, the phrase content comes in because it does almost trivialize what's been watched, what's been shown. It's all right. The next thing to watch, you go, hang on, this is quite a serious news, yeah. news report, which we should be focusing on rather than thinking like what's next. And so because it's so much easier uh, and there's so many more channels and, if you have that 30 grand camera and you're filming, you've got to go, you know, you need a big bank of, of laptops and a, a big yeah. editorial system. And it is that, that, you know, you sort of see the lines on, on the, uh, on the editing package, the, 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 the different voices. And it's sort of saw on the other day, it's sort of 20 deep with the different sounds and different noises and different angles. Whereas that quick turnaround, someone's filming something and editing. You can, I mean, that's, that's the, that's, that's the breakthrough is you can film, you can edit, you can voice and you can upload on one device. You don't yeah. have to have a, whereas days gone by, you had a camera, you need a laptop, yeah. you your Wi-Fi connection. Now you can do it on your mobile, entirely on your mobile phone or your tablet. And it's up there on your YouTube Absolutely. channel or wherever you want to put it and, and then out there on your social media channels. So it, it's all sped up in that regard. And, and it just sounds, it sounds like less cables to me, Jez. Exactly. For, for They're never bad cables. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, getting confused where these cables go, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's one device. It's, it's less, it's more streamlined. It's more efficient, yeah. um, which, which is a great place to be. Um, you know, who knows mm-hmm. where the future is is kind of heading with all of these things. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Jeremy Jez Inson, an international multi-platform sports journalist. Yeah, so you're out to Qatar and can you allude to uh, a bit more about what you're what you're up to? Yeah, well mine will be basically based in the office. And I said we've got I'll be managing a team of digital reporters, um, bright young things who put us all to shame with their their technology, <laughs> technological <laughs> knowledge and how to use it and what to do. Uh, and it, it's very much a model. Four years ago in, in Russia, again, it, it shows how quickly things move on. I mean, even going back further to the South Africa World Cup in 2010, um, the people I'm working with were putting, putting things out to be sent to people's mobile phones. You sort of people, the, 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 the migration 
across the smartphones probably hadn't been as, as great as it was mm. now, certainly. So people were still having um, those early days from, from the sort of mid-2000s where people getting goals, highlights sent to their phone and, and sort of watching a very grainy, very pixelated image of, well, it wasn't even an image, you know, uh, video of, of someone yeah. scoring a goal. I think things have moved on by 2010 and that was and then yeah so over the over the time it's right but people most people now watch it on, on social media i mean so much sport is watched on social media um uh, be it the highlights be it well, mainly the highlights you know people aren't paying as much attention to a full 90 minute match there's other yeah. things going on while they're there um and yeah so we i will look after a team of reporters each team there's 32 teams at the world cup will have a one of these bright young things with a mobile phone and quite simply they'll be going and hopefully they'll be charged up um overnight so they'll be ready to go the next day um <laughs> though if you were there covering england for instance or wales uh, or, or any of the 32 you'd be on match day you'd be you'd be there when the team's coming in that particular team is is coming yeah. into the stadium you might be allowed into the stadium. It depends what their media manager wanted to allow you, what they want to put their own channels. Um, uh, when a player's running onto the pitch, the warm-ups, basically everything until what you watch on TV, short of a, yeah. a full live broadcast. Uh, and that would go out to all the, the broadcasters, so BBC, ITV, uh, Telefrance in, in France, Rai in Italy, ZDF um, from Germany. It was few of the ones off the top of my head, Fox Sports in the USA and Australia. Uh, and yeah, and they have access to it and they can take what they want for it for their digital channels. Uh, okay. So that's match day. And then yep. non-match day, they they will be going to training sessions and probably filming for 30 minutes or so over a, a training session, focusing on, you know, if they were going to Argentina, there'd be a, a good deal of footage on Lionel Messi and one or two others, big name players, but you, you want a good spread depending on yeah. what they're writing. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I'll be managing them, making sure that the, so I'll be sort of putting two ways, making sure that the broadcasters know when these streams are happening and what yeah. time they start. Uh, so, yeah, the email. And then after that, I will be, it's all a bit of damage imitation because there, um, hopefully there won't be much to do, but in the event that, a bright, I think, for instance, say the, the person covering, he or she covering Portugal uh, doesn't doesn't get the message from the media manager that they don't want footage of Cristiano Ronaldo being treated on the side of the pitch by the physio on his ankle or his hamstring. And he puts out you know, some footage of this that very thing happening um, where they want to keep it hush-hush that their star players might be carrying injury. Um, yep. I think I'm the person who's supposed to be smoothing it out. So my uh, my 20 years of this hopefully will come through in, in, a, in a diplomatic way. So um, yeah. goodness, I mean, it sounds like a you know your experience in politics and uh, languages and journalism all kind of culminating in dealing with these types of events. Well, hopefully, so you're hopefully. ideally placed. <laughs> oh, it sounds it sounds so exciting. And I know we were talking about um, the content that you're responsible for uh, being mostly business to business. So you wouldn't necessarily know that it was your um, your content, so to speak. But yeah. it's likely to be. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, I'm, I, I would have had a hand in it. I sort of overseen it, I think, it's probably like I did four years ago. We had we had um, we had uh, Tim Ford producers. So 
most days we managed to squeeze in a few days off here and there uh, see a bit of moscow and enjoy the, the atmosphere um and and yeah so they, we, we'd have training clips sent through again it, it, it's, again it's, it's one of those things that we as i said changed but because it was in russia so you were over i think it was over four time zones and a hell of a lot bigger space than, wow. than qatar is going to be uh, and so you had thing different things coming in from from training and but again they how technology is found there's a problem and technology solves it the problem there we had was the people out filming at the stadium they didn't have uh, 5g cameras so you couldn't send the footage back um so we would have to wait till whoever it was they get back the reporting team from let's say a saudi arabia training session they'd have to get back to their hotel upload it find the wi-fi send it through uh, and take time whereas now because again technology's moved on uh qatar's certainly not spared any expense in, in, in bringing itself up to uh up to the top in terms of technology that that footage from them you know it's a mobile phone it's not a big three thousand pound camera that's coming back instantaneously and yeah. uh, and those clips can go out for people who are doing that. There was yes, they're all different ones. You know, they had people sending each other's birthdays. Someone be out you. Um, Harry Kane's birthday. I don't think it was, but this is sort of just an example. You know, one of the England players has a birthday. They bring a cake out to him, and that footage would be filmed, and yeah. you make a little clip and a little bit, and that would go out to the host broadcasters, uh, and they would do their. I mean, people like BBC, uh, ITV, certainly they have their own digital teams as well, so. They were producing their own clips um, off the back of that, and, and from so their do, own. Do they footage. have access to your? They had a, yeah. They had access to our content. Obviously, we didn't have access to their content because it was from their reporters, and that's that's yep. their prerogative, and that's the way the system yeah. works, which which is fine. Um, and yeah, and so it was things like that, and then match days, you would probably like little fifteen second clips around every goal. Yeah, and we started off not. I think penalties and penalties, penalties if they were scored were fine because it was a goal. Penalty misses, we didn't. But then, of course, we started off from Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the two biggest stars in the world. I think he, I think the goalkeeper saved it. And so, I like, oh, I should probably, you know, people, you know, he's like, you know, he's he's not perfect after all, would be this little caption, the one short caption to go with it. We didn't write anything with it. They'd just go out yes. and people could add them. Um, you know, a little blurb on, on, on yeah. who, who, what, what again, storytelling, who it is, yeah. what they're doing, where they are, yeah, who they're doing against. Um, the six W's came into play, uh, but again, that's almost micro storytelling, yeah. And so it's the, the longer, you know, it's almost, yeah, rather than the longer form, uh, and, and yeah, and anything significant in the game, which was, was yeah. enjoyable. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting experience, and it they went down very well. I mean, the biggest one got a lot of hits, a lot of use was, um, Basically, the Brazilian coach jumped up when Brazil scored. A girl started running along the touchline. I think it was a water bottle or something in his way, and he tripped over it and went head over head over heels on the touchline. And yeah, that was one we put out. And um, that was, I think, that got up close to a uh, to a million hits over the uh, over the, use, over the, the the period of the, the World Cup. Oh, goodness, so that was definitely the big one. So you're it's producing content using facts storytelling the um remind me five w's the six w's so the who six. what when how who and why so you've got five but one of them begins with one of them has a w in it but it begins with an h so um <laughs> yeah so i remember the, 
for the five the five oh no that's yeah anyway um yeah so so yeah. then you're you're sharing the facts and then um you know agencies whatever are layering up their narrative or story on top of that but you're producing exactly. your content that is kind of the most credible uh professional that it could possibly be all been well all been well but yeah that's all what we'll be well. doing so it will be yeah it's it's just a different way of, of you know it's still storytelling it's just a different way and different medium but yeah the facts apply you want to know who it is you want to know who it's against you yeah. want to know where they're doing it yeah when they're doing so it. I, mean, it, I mean some of those things are fairly obvious you know when well, it was today because yeah. it and where yeah. well but, so are you are your digital journalists do they have a specialism and an interest in sport or are you literally pulling these people because of their their digital technology skills i think there's a bit of both i think you, it's like anything you, you find that yeah. the, the people who are, who are more tech-minded and, and don't know the sport as well and put others but i think this is more on the on the on the, the sports knowledge and the journalism side that you would go for um I think, yeah, the digital skills are good, but they're not essential in this. You know, they're yeah. not the next. We aren't actually doing too much of them. We're just, yeah, uh, we'll be holding the camera and pointing it type thing and making sure that it's recording. Yeah, um, I think I think that's great. You know, you're um, empowering the people that have a passion and a love for yeah. that, you know, particular sport and, you know, kind of nurturing them through that. You know, it really does go back to the, you know, find a passion or something you love doing and then learn how to build processes in on top of that. Yeah. And it's one of the, I mean, it's, it's a different, it's a new way of how we watch, again, how we consume content. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, you think I, when I, my first Olympics and probably the same as the World Cup, Mexico 86 and Los Angeles 1984, uh, they, they were on one channel who watched the match. Then I wasn't old enough to stay up and watch the highlights, the match of the day type <laughs> highlights in 1986. I was in bed by them. Um, and they were all on one channel. Uh, you know, BBC had one channel. They might have maybe two yeah. for the Olympics. But they might have had the athletics on in the evening, but everything else happening on BBC two. Um, and, and it's the way that technology's changed that you had. So you, if I think of, of the Olympics, I've been to every one, every summer Olympics since Sydney. Um, and Sydney was still very much that old model. You know, the, the websites and broadband hadn't really been... Um, wasn't as commonplace as it is now, so you weren't watching online. You had uh, you had the very beginnings of digital in terms of digital channels on your TV. Um, but I think it was about 2004, 2005 when when the digital switch yeah. started. Um, so yes, I think you had. I think you might have had one or two. So you think so? Sydney watching over here. You, Sydney would you watch from BBC One, BBC Two? That would have been a lot. Athens. Um, I think it was a bit more on the website because it was internet speeds were getting up. Then by 2008, you'd have that full, um, the, the, the digital switch over things like you had BBC three, BBC four, and there was, so they had a couple of extra channels to show that. Then of course you have the whole jump into, um, into, uh, where we, uh, was next London 2012, of course, London 2012, <laughs> where every BBC uh, had a channel for every sport they had yeah yes like, 30 odd channels for it uh and, you know and also internet was much quicker iplayer was around people could watch on that 
um social media was sort of going that way then by by rio there's a lot more going on to on to uh onto the onto twitter especially instagram to an extent and of course latterly you've had people um i think it was india were broadcasting parts of tokyo 2020 on facebook as well so yeah. you've gone from so, so it's going across the board now there's so many different ways to watch highlights and replays and i, and I think that's yeah. the thing you know most people find out scores and if you go back to again when i was younger when i first started watching football in the mid 80s there was the whole thing if you were if you went to a match you would you would listen to a transistor radio you take your wind up transistor radio yeah. your batter power transistor radio and listening to a crackly well it wasn't even radio five live there at the time i think that no, wasn't around wasn't. it was radio four to get the final scores and now yeah. of course you can follow it all the way through on your mobile yes. phone know exactly what's happening on your rivals yeah rivals. Exactly. And nothing's that's, a surprise anymore that's really interesting actually i kind of got this visual of someone being at a football match with their transistor radio um but yeah we we've kind of completely moved along and, and getting the whole picture even if you're there because obviously you can't see everything you know it's still a very limited view if you're in the place um but you know our, our minds and our ears are open to to all of the all of the story behind the scenes and even more behind the scenes so um, yeah. I think that's, you know, of course, you still thing. get those rumours sweeping the ground that so and so scored, or yeah, <laughs> you know, for, and so you've got a chance of avoiding relegation or winning the championship. Uh, you know, but I, I remember there was a time there was those days when you would go. Uh, so what we thinking? Probably again, probably early two thousands, and not having the replay on the screens at the stadium, which you do. I think you get now. Yeah. Um, I don't really go enough. Um, but yeah, I think it started showing them, and you're like, oh yeah, and there, and those, this, those little things, and yeah. um, and people on the on the on the tannoy and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's all. As you said at the beginning, it's it's all about the method of telling the story rather than yes. how we tell the story. Yeah. Um, and as I said, going back to what we're doing now, my podcast um, and, and things like that with the iPhone, to show you. Yeah, I know we're audio. We've got a little clip on microphone, a little transistor which you plug into the the bottom of your 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 smartphone, and then you can record. The sound quality is great. So, um, yeah, and, it, and it's highly usable and doesn't get any of the wind rush effect that you sometimes if you're just having the just using your, your iPhone or your excuse me again another bit of advertising your smartphone. You can record it, you can edit yeah. it, and you can publish it all from there. And it's it sort yeah. of democratizes things a bit, but it does mean that everyone can do it. And, and yeah, I think the one thing people find with the news cycle is that that not everyone's views are quite palatable. So you do get that extreme of of, um, of opinions, if you like. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou, and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Jeremy Jezinson, an international multi-platform sports journalist. So, Jez, um, you're out to Qatar, which we know about. Um, I'm very excited to uh, be watching some of the footage, knowing you're responsible for it, whatever comes back. Um, now, how can people get hold of you if they're interested in sports journalism? Obviously, you might be a bit busy for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> on LinkedIn, I think it's just plain old Jeremy Inson on LinkedIn. There's not many Insons around in the world, but it's something I've found, uh, which is it's quite, uh, yeah, it's quite helpful. But uh, good, good for the, the search it, yeah. algorithms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's not a great deal of us. 
there, yes, yeah, so Jeremy Inson at LinkedIn, at Jeremy Inson on Twitter. Um, they're probably the best two. And uh, yeah, so the, the, yeah, they're the, they're the two to get hold of me if they want any and, advice um, or thoughts. And also, so in your commercial life, your sports journalism, but in your kind of personal time, you also um, kind of embody that passion for sports and journalism with your own podcast. That's right. Well, it's not mine. It's one I look after and run. It's for my uh, the amateur section of Ealing Trailfinders Rugby Club, the Ealing, Ealing Trailfinders 1871. They're the men's amateur section of Ealing Trailfinders who uh, have been in the news recently with people like Wass and Wass Warriors going out of business and they're the next cab off the rank almost to go up to the premiership. Um, they've been knocking on the door for quite a few years now and yep. I've played for their amateur side on and off for quite a few years. Um, and yeah, and my sort of playing days are winding down, but just a way of giving the club a slightly bit more of an identity and, and help putting it out there a bit more. Uh, and just to give myself a little bit more experience with podcasts as well. Um, yeah. Spoke to a few people, ran the idea past other players, some of the, the coaches and, and management who agreed it'd be yeah, a pretty good idea. So uh, every once a week on the whole, probably every uh, for three weeks, it was really three weeks, about three weeks and there's a bit of a break. And it's basically yeah. just telling people what it takes to run a, um, a amateur sports club. There's a lot of work. I think people don't quite understand how much work's needed, how much work goes into it. Uh, I mean, these guys are doing it for free. It's their passion, um, yeah. how they shape the club, sort of the direction they want to go in. And also their backgrounds. There's a lot of people there whose background you don't necessarily know about. People who've played at a high level on the coaching side. People who've had sort of quirky, different stories throughout their playing careers. There's one or two whose fathers played at a pretty high level and quite well known. And just getting there, how they became involved, why it became to mean so much to them. Yeah. Just so that I, I think one thing that's happening at playing numbers are shrinking. So there's sort of that demand to get young, interested players in. And something like a podcast helps yeah. sells the club on the marketing side. So, it's, yeah, just short 10 minutes, just chatting to rugby about people, how the season's going. They're having a good season now, so everyone's yeah. happy to chat, which is always useful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, on that. <laughs> and as I say, as I say, the best marketing in sports success. Jez, it's been absolutely incredible chatting with you. It's been, I don't know how many years since we've connected, but it feels like, it was last week that we last spoke. So I'm really grateful for uh, you giving up some time uh, before you head off. And um, yeah, it's been great to connect and, and listen to the rest of your journey that you've experienced over the last 20 years. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great to talk. And yeah, we'll see you again soon. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, Lou. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening. 